Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Jason Calacanis, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Ethan Suplee, thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. And I hear you oh. talking on your podcast about diet and weight loss and getting into your fighting weight. And yeah. I want to know, because listen, for me, I look at a guy like you and I think you don't need to lose weight. And I don't like to project my goals onto other people and all of that. But like, what do you want out of this? Uh, great uh, question. I was a marathon runner when I was in my 20s. My lowest weight as a an adult was probably 167. And then when I hit 30 years old, did 11 marathons, I had a knee injury, like a little tear in my meniscus. I stopped running. I kind of fell out of love with it. And then uh, lo and behold, uh, you know, had a family and uh, ate an extra 3,500 to 7,000 calories a year and put on one to two pounds a year and went from, you know, 170 probably uh, all the way up to 211. And I'm five, eight and a half, you know, five, nine on a good day. Uh, and I should weigh much less. And it um, snuck up on me. I'll be totally honest. I didn't realize I was getting fat. And then when you're on TV a whole bunch and you're popping out of your suits, you dial everything else in your life in. And I've been very lucky um, to hit a lot of like lucky breaks in my career. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way about yours. Uh, you have an even more difficult career than I do. Acting is hard uh, to, to actually have any level of success. And, um, you know, I just started to feel really bad about myself because it was the one part of my life I couldn't control. And so from the age of 35 to 50, I just went on a yo-yo, minus 10, 15, plus 10, 15, back and forth. And I've been using a, a Wee Things like Fitbit scale for 10 years. And I have this like crazy pattern of just yo-yoing. And I just made the decision to lose the weight this year permanently uh, and to get back to my fighting weight and maybe even the lowest weight I've been as an adult because of COVID. Essentially, you know, my thesis was everybody's going to get COVID. I think the number one vector is obesity and age. Uh, I think it's like they're probably one and two. I guess asthma's up there too, and asthma's related to obesity. But anyway, uh, I think everybody winds up getting it, which has turned out to um, be pressing this week <laughs> with the Omicron. Uh, and so I just decided. And I think that's like an interesting discussion for us to have. And I have a lot of questions for you too, because I realize now that I had a desire to lose weight, but I hadn't decided to do it. If that makes sense. Like they're very close words. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. And, and, and by the way, in fact, everything you're saying, the, the roller coaster ride for me, it mirrors it. My, I think my swings were bigger in, in terms of pounds but You're a big I, boy. What'd you tip at? 532. What? 530. Oh no, no, sorry. 536. But listen, 
536 on a scale. And it was a shipping scale at the time because this was in 20 plus years ago and you right. couldn't really buy a scale that went that high. Now they have them in doctor's office. But back then, no doctor's office had a scale that yeah. high. Yeah. So I had to go to a shipping place, get on the scale, 536, and I gained weight after that and just oh never had Lord. access to a scale again. So for sure, I was above that. That's got to totally screw with your mind, self-esteem, emotions. Every part of it. However... Yeah. I would do the same thing. I think it's just that I go like, I'm going to lose some weight and I'm losing a hundred pounds. Oh, wow. And then I'm just steadily gaining a hundred pounds back for Mm. 15 years. I did that. So it's the same thing. And then the real kind of talk I had to have with myself was I don't have trouble losing weight. I can lose Mm. weight. No problem. Mm. I can do any diet. I've done every diet. I've lost weight on every diet. The problem I have is I'm not thinking long-term. It's it's this, yep. my goal is I want to lose weight. My goal isn't, I want to have a life at a lower weight. Yes. I think that's the difference between desire and deciding, right? It's yeah. like six letter words with three of the same letters, I think. And I was just thinking about the podcast and I was really excited to be on and discuss this with you because there's something amazing about losing weight. Like I'm watching your Instagram and you have become a total inspiration to people. And I've listened to maybe three or four episodes of your pod so far. Uh, Will Sasso one, and then the, uh, is it your girlfriend or wife or fiance it's, or something? It's my wife's proxy. My wife won't do it, but she ah. wants to make sure there's, so there's a girl who listens to all of it. She's ah. not always there, but she yeah. like pulls out, like you got political, we're cutting that got out, it. you know, that kind of smart. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was really excited about doing it. I just started thinking about how the deck is rigged against all of us. And then what a miracle it is when you actually do lose weight and how different people are treating me. I went to lunch with a business associate yesterday and the first 20 minutes were her congratulating me and how good I looked, et cetera. I I felt like I was 10 feet tall uh, and I felt so proud of myself. And it's the opposite of how I felt over the last 15 years struggling with this, which was, I was like, how can I be so good at everything else in my fucking life? And I fail at this. This doesn't make sense for me. And uh, I interviewed Mark Cuban once, who's a friend of mine. And I asked him, like, you know, what's it like to be a billionaire? And this was after he sold the company. And we had this great conversation in front of an audience. And I said, anything in your life that you're not unhappy with at this point? He said, yeah, my weight. I struggle with my weight and I'm embarrassed about it. And I have unlimited resources. And I think that's a really interesting thing. It doesn't matter the resources you have. It's the relationship you have with food, I think. Yeah. And I look back on it. I heard you talk about this on yours. And I think... The deck is stacked against you in society. I mean, our portion size versus the European portion size, the percentage of fried carbs compared to the percentage of vegetables and lean proteins, everything is stacked against you. The industrial food complex is designed to put just unbelievable amounts of calories into our system. And it's so easy to put fat on. And as you've learned, it's so hard to take it off. Your body fights you every step of the way. And you can make just a very simple mistake of eating a cookie a week and over 20 years, you're 30, 40 pounds over. Yeah. And I think that's why, I don't know what the the metric is today. I think 60, 70% of Americans are overweight and then some other number are, you know, uh, obese. And so I really have great sympathy for people, but I also think that it can be done. And it's so glorious when it is done. I see you in those Instagram photos. I see the comments and I'm like, I just want to be friends with Ethan. I'm like so happy for him. I want to hang with him. And 
you know, it, I, I feel like people are starting to treat me differently. And that's also like a little bit of a mind fuck, isn't it? How are people treating you now that you're diesel and jacked? And did they talk to you about being so obese or would people just talk behind your back? Like how? I think there was the- a there was a lot of deep concern behind yeah. the scenes that wasn't really getting to me because mm-hmm. I've had many conversations since I've started doing this when I'd lose a bunch of weight where people were like, I was yeah. so worried about you. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I was really super open to that conversation. Mm. You know, that was not something I wanted. So you I was defensive. I don't know. I don't even know that. I, maybe it was just that they could perceive that because every time it would come up, you know, my friends called me when Chris Farley died uh, and they had this conversation with me like he I also did a lot of drugs back then. So it was kind of a two for conversation. Like he was very unhealthy and he did drugs. Like, let's get your shit together. I yelled at them. I I, didn't, it didn't go over well. So Mm. then a couple years later, when Biggie Smalls was killed, I got a call from the same two guys saying Biggie Smalls died. And I tightened up thinking they're going to have a health conversation with me. And they were like, yeah, you know, he was shot. And I was like, oh my God, Uh, I was so relieved that the guy had been murdered. (sighs) This is awful to say, but like that it wasn't going to be a conversation about my weight. Yeah. Now I, I, you know, I think I have so so low self-esteem that I'm not really present for whether people are actually treating me differently or not. Oh, you can't let it in. I don't think so. Well, uh, let me just tell you, I'm so fucking proud of you. Like, let it in. (laughs) And I'm sure all of your friends and family then are absolutely in awe of what you've accomplished. And I guarantee you, you will change tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives with this podcast and, you know, the mission you're on. It's clear you're on a mission here to spread the gospel of this. My friends and family acknowledge it. Yes. I mean, more of the way I interact with the world, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like whatever it was before, I don't perceive that it's different now. Huh. Interesting. But that's just, you know, I, I had big, big blinders up. I did not want to experience that. I think there was part of me being an actor that was a shield to experiencing eyes on me for the train wreck that I was because they could be wondering if I was a guy in a thing. And maybe they're Got looking it. at me because maybe I'm an actor. Like there was a lot going on. So I oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. So they're not just looking at you because you're so fat. They're looking at you because you might've been in a movie they liked or a TV show. And now you've got this double thing. You're a celebrity getting attention and maybe you're getting attention because they're laughing at you or just concerned or like, look at that guy. Exactly. But that's the thing about this. Like I would look in the mirror, you know, over the years and just, I feel so bad about myself. And then I just started forgiving myself. I was like, listen, the deck is stacked against you. It's really hard. You tried, and now you just got to decide to do this and make it sustainable. And, you know, I just decided I'm going to eat like one meal a day and then do two smaller meals a day. I started joking and doing salad of the day on my, you know, Instagram. And I just did calorie restriction and I did it for four or five months and I lost a pound a week. And, you know, here we are. Yeah. Um, and I think the lowest I had gotten to was like 184 or 185. And now this morning, this week, I've been 174, 175. Fucking awesome, dude. And I, it's, I sleep better. My energy's better. I'm more alert. And I started, I did a run the other day and I was at a nine minute mile and I felt fucking great. And I had like U2's where the streets are, have no names, which was the song I would always play when I would go over the Verizon Bridge 
I grew up in Brooklyn and I would go over the Verizon Bridge and the marathon, that would be the first song I play because it'd get me amped. And I just immediately triggered me like, fuck, I should run a marathon now or a half marathon or something. I should be a runner again. Uh, because I was having sciatica down my leg. I was having hip pain. I was having ankle pain, foot pain. I mean, my whole body was a mess. And then you get the 10 pounds off, you start feeling a little better. And then you get 20 pounds off. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this is starting to feel very different. And now I'm starting to have this like, why did I wait so long? Yeah. Why did I wait so long? And I think there's a lot of emotion associated with food and my upbringing that I've you know had to unpack a little bit. I think, you know, growing up middle-class, my dad was a, you know, had bars and he was a chef and he loved food and he was overweight and, and is overweight. My brothers, my uncles, everybody was overweight in my family. Uh, and we looked at food as like a refuge. Like that was like, if you were successful, you got to eat a lot of food. Like right. it was a very weird thing. So then when I made a bunch of money and I sold a couple of companies when I was 30 years old, I was like, I can go to any restaurant and order whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. And I did for 20 years and I just went crazy. Yeah, this was basically the first my first bit of autonomy. I started making money as an actor and it was it was what do I want to eat? I can eat anything I want. Nobody right. can control this. And 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 that was it. Do, do you do you think that the the putting it off and putting it off and how you're describing your decision now, like this long term plan hmm. versus things in the past where you're like, I'm going to do this more short-term thing or, or however you're structuring that does putting it off actually compound putting it off more. Do you think don't go anywhere? We'll be right back. I think the failure of every different thing I tried, um, I think got me demoralized for a bit, you know, and my wife, you know, I got three daughters and my wife was like, listen, we got to, you got to turn this around. And she's trying to be gentle about it. And then other people are, you know, saying, Hey, you got to lose a little bit, you know, you get a little chubby there. Um, and I just decided like for my daughters and with this COVID thing, like enough, like, let's just really make this the priority in my life. And I think that was like a key thing. The times they did it before, it was like number seven, six, five, six, seven on my list of important things. I wanted to build companies, invest in companies, be on TV, do journalism, write books. I had a million other things I wanted to do that had nothing to do with losing weight. It just was not my priority. It became my number one priority. Um, and, you know, again, back to that deciding versus like desiring it. Like once you decide, then it's just a matter of how, what's your strategy, how long is it going to take? And I just took it like two pounds at a time. I just looked at my average weight for the week. I weighed myself every day, same time every morning. And I just weighed myself every day. And I really dropped the amount of calories I ate. And I started to eat better food. I stopped the snacking. I got off the bread, you know. And I had done intermittent fasting. I had done keto. I had tried to do CrossFit. Every time I did one of those things, I lost like 10 pounds, maybe 12 and, you know, I did metformin. I tried a lot of different things. Nothing really worked. I'm good friends with Tim Ferriss and Kevin Rose. I know a bunch of guys who are into life hacking and all this stuff. Nothing worked for me. And then I was just like, I was talking to my friend, David Sachs, and he's just like, here's my system. I eat the vegetables first. Uh, then I eat fish, chicken, meat. And then I don't eat bread and I don't drink wine anymore. And he lost a bunch of weight. He lost like 20 pounds. I lost 25. And now on the All In podcast, you know, we look at pictures from when we started 58 weeks ago or whatever, a year and a half ago. And now, and my face looks so different to people and uh, it just feels great. And I, I, I'm absolutely certain this is the permanent change in my life, Yeah, which but, I did not feel previously. It's right. so weird. 
I know how to do it now. You know, it, it, it is. A, it is really, in my opinion, a lifestyle thing. When, when you think about a restrictive diet, that's a temporary thing. You do a restrictive yeah. diet forever. The end is you starve to death and die. So a restrictive diet to me is a short term thing. Yeah. And this is one of those bullshit words that we've heard a million times, lifestyle change. And then when you realize what it means to sustain weight loss, yeah. it, it really is that. I really respect your rationale for wanting to lose weight amidst a pandemic where the number one or the most common comorbidity is obesity. Yeah. And we can't yet, talk about that, though, because we don't want to fat shame. But, 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 Okay. I mean, it just so weird, like right? Isn't it weird that we can't thing. talk about that? It's like, yeah. I mean, I, I think when they produce those COVID numbers, they should give the BMI and the age of the person because that would educate everybody. Yeah. But we're so scared of offending people. But like in your state, they should just every day, it doesn't have to have the person's name, male, 40 BMI, 40 years old, dead. And you'd be like, okay, the only 40 year olds, the only 30 year olds who are dying here are obese are obese or have some other comorbidity, or you'd see whatever the number is, 80% or 90% are obese. And I guess they were scared to tell us the truth or something. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but maybe they really didn't want people to think it was um, not that deadly for younger people or fit people because maybe then they wouldn't get vaxxed. I'm triple vaxxed. As a matter of fact, I got my ass kicked yesterday. I took the Moderna and Man, I feel like I got hit by a car today. <laughs> uh, the Pfizer was fine, but I don't know. I did the Moderna for my third one. And, oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I, I tweeted that. I was like, God, this Moderna's knocked me on my ass. I feel like I got punched 10 times. And like, I feel like I ran a marathon and people were like, be careful, you get banned from social media. And it's I like, mean, it's, it's this, this Can't thing. be honest. Yeah. We, uh, where, yeah, we have something going around. All, a bunch of people are having experiences. Like, I want to know everything that everybody's uh, having. I don't think sunlight. any of it. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's going to be my exact experience. But uh, if the majority of people who are my age are obese and dying with this, that's a good metric to know. Yeah, it would be super helpful for people. And I think they could have just done an incredible mitzvah for everybody. Just said, listen, if you're old, this is really dangerous. Stay away from grandma. If you're traveling, grandma and grandpa, you got to not see them for the first five days off the plane. Please, you know, when you get there for Thanksgiving, Christmas, take two or three tests, take two or three days to go in and see them. And then they should said, listen, and for everybody else, we know it's very easy in today's modern life to put on an extra 10, 20, 30 pounds. The best thing you could do for yourself is get the vaccine. And the second best thing you could do for yourself is to lose that 10, 20 pounds. And so- Let's get at it, folks. And that, I mean, you didn't hear either president say that. You don't hear Fauci saying that. So why not? Why wouldn't Fauci say that? No, There's something it offensive about it. it I think we need to have a- sense to me. I mean, no, but you know, we are as a society moving into this age where fat acceptance or fat glorification, even, you know how the pendulum yeah. swings. And when we were yeah. kids, it was uh, Twiggy was popular yeah. and really real yeah. thin models. And now it Kate is. Moss, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, it's more healthy looking girls. And, and also like there's a movement where it's like, you know, unhealthy is being represented, which I'm interesting as an actor, like, okay, representation, that was part of your career, right? Like, did they cast you as the fat guy? Like, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So now that you lose the weight, 
are you now not going to be able to get as much work as the fat guy? And then how do you deal with that? Is your agent like, ah, no more fat guy jobs. You're going to get the diesel guy. <laughs> I can still, I can still pull off. Listen, I got a, I got a big frame and a lot of muscle. So if you I put like on a, a baggy shirt, yeah. yeah. If yeah. I put on baggy clothes, I still look overweight. Yeah. I mean, oh, I am technically overweight if you just go by the BMI. Ah, interesting. You know, but uh, you, you lost what? 200 pounds or something from the peak? Uh, 250. Oh my God. You lost half of yourself. Yeah. That's Two, extraordinary. Dude. It actually might even be 280 at this point. I think it's closer to 280. Yeah. 280. I, if we I told you how I different like, I felt. How different do you feel? You know, every day uh, in my former life, coming home from work, my feet would swell up and it would uh, be this thing of going to bed. Like my knees hurt, my feet hurt, everything hurt. But I would always have this wonder if if my feet were going to de-swell overnight uh, or go down to get on my, my wardrobe shoes the next day. That was always a concern. It's little weird things like that. Like I'm no longer always burdened. I catch myself doing it sometimes still because it's kind of like ingrained in my mind to do this to check the strength of a chair before I sit down. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. really give it a jostle and see make sure you don't have that like crazy embarrassing moment where you're the fat guy who broke the chair. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I never thought about that. And I've had a, a bunch of times sitting in a chair and some other knucklehead is leaning back and breaks the chair and they're not fat and the eyes go to me. Yeah. They're like, you, know? you broke it. <laughs> yeah. association. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm sitting on a chair. I'm not, my chair's not broken. Yeah. I don't blame me. me. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to um, do with me there's all that shit is st so still crazy. part of my life you know yeah um I th and it, you know the thing i've also i learned is like falling off the wagon and i heard you talk about this because you had somebody call in i think his name was mike or something the other day who had the skin removal surgery yeah. in the last episode and i was thinking about mike uh today and you know coming on here and, you know, I don't want to give people too much advice. I'm, you know, I, there's all different things that work for different people. I think a lot of this is emotional. I think a lot of it is situational. I think a lot of it is modern society, stress, whatever. And it sneaks up on you. You eat one cookie a week. That's $3,500 a year, 20, 30 years, you're 20, 30 pounds overweight. So I don't judge anybody with it. Um, but you got to be able to forgive yourself because looking back and hating yourself for the past is a meaningless exercise. You cannot look back at the past with regret. You can only learn from it and then move forward and be in the present. And even looking forward too much is like way, way wasted energy. You have to live in the present, right? That's what Yoda tried to explain to Luke, like all this time, like always looking to the horizon, like always trying to think about the future, always on the past, like get to be in the moment in the present. What are you going to do right now from this moment forward? Are you going to go have the salad? You're going to drink a glass of ice water or are you going to grab the Skittles? Are you going to grab the piece of cake? Are you going to order Domino's and, you know, hit the Coca-Cola? Which one? And then just give yourself a hundred percent credit for the decision you make in this moment. That's, I think, I don't want to be like some inspirational guy. I just know that worked for me. Yeah, no, I think Which, you're dead. You're dead. You do make right. those mistakes, right? You make yeah. mistakes. And I think it's very easy to have one of those mistakes turn into three of those mistakes. And then yep. the regret can lead you astray, like he, like the guy you're talking about, yep. now wakes up a year later going, What have I done? You know, yeah. And that is and that is the trouble tragic. with regret. Yeah. Well, then everybody's also, we I was talking earlier about how people are treating me different and how great they feel about me. And then if I go back, like, ah, you know, am I disappointing them? Are they going to be like, what happened? Like, you got, you look so good. Now you look so bad, you know? And I think I just want to let people know how I know it's hard 
But if you just look at the, the straight up math, it can be done. It's harder to get it off than it is to put it on. Putting it on generally is like a slow process of just, it's 3,500 calories per pound of fat. You know, that if you're talking about 7,000 calories, you're talking about whatever that is, like 120 calories a week. It's like one can of soda a week. You literally have a Coca-Cola and that's more than 120. So you have like, oh, not even like a half a Coca-Cola and now you're getting two pounds a week, you're 40 pounds a week. Conversely, when you cut 3,500 a week, that's uh, 3,500 divided by seven minus 500 a day, you go from 2,200 down to 1,700. Or you can even go down to like 1,400. I, that's kind of where I got to. And I wasn't calorie counting. I just said one meal, a couple of snacks that are healthy, try to eat an apple, whatever. Then you're taking off one or two pounds a week. Let's just put it at one. So if you put on 20, over 20 years, one pound. But you can also lose over 20 weeks, one pound. So it's really about recognizing this caloric kind of formula and then just saying, let me see if I could be disciplined for, what is it, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, lose a pound a week, lose 1.2 pounds a week. If you're, I, And I had like recently a couple of flat weeks, fuck with my head a little bit. <laughs> I said, you know, we, we knew this was going to happen. You know, drop 25 pounds, you're going to have a couple of flat weeks. So let's just work through it and let's double down on eating a salad and, you know, maybe get a little exercise. But I also found I couldn't do both. Can you do both? Can you exercise and diet? Or did you just do one or the other when you lost like the big weight? Uh, no, I can do both. I, I, I do. I, my diet is very, very slow. So if I'm not maintaining my weight, I am maybe a pound a week and I'm, uh, I got over, I got a hundred pounds on you. So a pound a week is very slow for me. I could easily wow. lose five pounds in a week wow. if I oh, yeah, that's right. just yeah. went really restrictive, but I want to do it really slow. And I'm also hyper-focused on working out in such a way that I'm maintaining my muscle, only losing fat. Like these are I, very... yeah, I lost a little bit of muscle on this journey because my scale tells me that. And then I started doing a little more walking, a little bit of running and just the walking and the running four miles a day, whatever that actually brought the muscle back. So yeah. I was like, wow, I don't even have to lift. Big but what leg, I found big was, muscles in your legs. Yeah, big muscles, I, uh, especially for the marathon running. And what I found was uh, when I worked out too hard, I got ravenously hungry Yeah. and I couldn't control myself. And then I would reward myself by doing something stupid like having a chicken fucking Parmesan <laughs> after I would go for a three mile, four mile walk or run. And then I would be like, oh, I burned 600 calories and I just ate 1400. Listening to you guys talk about Carbone oh, on your Carbone. podcast, oh, I salivate God. every time. You guys it's talk the about You've been to the one in Vegas food. or New York? Which one have you been to? Only I've never New been York. to New York. I've only been to Vegas. I've never been to Vegas. Is it Oh, wonderful? we'll go to Vegas together. You and I, we'll go, <laughs> we'll uh, fast for a day. <laughs> and Carbone has this like rigatoni pasta. My wife makes it for me. And then I have three bowl sizes in my house. I got the little one for my five-year-old daughters. It's like a little, you know, like a little yogurt bowl, very precious. Then I got like a, a bowl for uh, cereal, just like a normal cereal bowl. And then I got the Gavon bowl, you know, like that you would put apples in. Right. You know, like <laughs> the fruit bowl for the fruit pasta. Bowl. Yeah. I would eat pasta out of that. My wife would eat out of the cereal bowl and my daughters would eat out of the little bowl. Now I eat out of the little bowl. Yeah. I, I just go right to the little yogurt parfait bowl. I'll eat the pasta, but yogurt parfait bowl for me. Maybe I have one or two extra pieces, but I try to control the amount I have. And yeah. I used to wake up. Uh, I don't know what bad habits you had, but uh, you know, I have sometimes I have a hard time sleeping. My mind's racing. I'm kind of an engaged guy. And then you know that cereal is calling me. Right. And I go to the kitchen, and then I get the gavon bowl, the fruit <laughs> bowl, and then I'm pouring three bowls of 
Fruit Loops or whatever, sugar snaps, and then pouring a half gallon of milk into it, killing it, and then going again. And yeah. I'm like, what was, what did I just do to myself? Was that 3,000 calories, 2,000? Right. And then I feel terrible. Like, oh, I've got to take the lactate. My stomach is making backflips. Now I feel great. Uh, and, you know, I just think portion size is such a critical piece of this. And it's hard to reset. Yeah. You just think about like when we go to restaurants, it's like, our bodies don't want to be restricted. Our bodies no. want to store fat. That's a yes. that's a savings account for our bodies. So we're no different. Like it's the operating system from when we were cavemen. Like, yeah. If you got the food, put the fat on because we know winter's coming. You're not going to eat for three months. Like you're going to be eating berries or like old nuts. Like so, put the fat on. Yeah. And bodies are designed against one this. one blink ago. The only way to be obese was to be wealthy. And that was for yes. a long time. The only sure. people who were possibly overfed were the chiefs and the kings and the rulers. Yep. And, yep. and so that I don't think we've had enough time to shift that, you know, biologically or genetically or however that works. That's still part of us. Our bodies want to retain fat. And now that we can for no money, basically, in America, we do. Did you ever use one of those glucose monitors uh, to see how your body reacts to different foods like the diabetics use? I never you, have. Yeah. So I invested in a company that does it and I, I wore it for a couple of months and it's very interesting because you see your glucose spike. I, no, I have a kid with type one diabetes. So oh, okay. I, I, I have on my phone connected to her. She wears one of those and I watch ah. it all day long. Yeah. And I get a little notification if she's yep. eating something. Glass in of orange insulin. juice, whatever, yeah. piece of bread. And so what I learned was for me, it was pretty weird. If I eat dark chocolate or I eat full fat ice cream, not so bad. I eat a bowl of cereal. It's what I thought would happen if I ate ice cream. The right. bowl of cereal sends me to the moon. The pizza sends me to the moon. But then ice cream and dark chocolate, nothing. And right. then if I eat it after I've had fish or chicken or some protein and salad first, it's even more uh, muted. And then you go for a walk for 30 minutes after dinner, or even just 15, and all of a sudden it goes way down. So yeah. you start to learn about this blood sugar thing. And then I read a book, Wheat Belly, Why We're Fat. I started reading all these books on, on uh, why we're fat, basically. And it turns out there was this need, we, we, we were very concerned uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s about people starving in Africa and other parts of the world, Asia. And so this scientist in Mexico did kind of like a contest to see who could get the most calories out of a hectare acre. And so they started genetically modifying uh, wheat just by not like modern day genetically modifying, but by just, you know, uh, taking strains and, and uh, you know, matching them up. And they came up with something called dwarf wheat, which you can look up. And they call it dwarf wheat because it had less husk and it had this big, huge amount of wheat. So it had less fiber, more wheat. But then the problem was, because, you know, those amber waves of gold, whatever we say, and then, you know, national anthem, like um, it was so heavy, it would just fall down. So they said, right. okay, well, why don't we just modify it so the weed is like three or four or five feet high as opposed to 12 feet high with that little tiny bit of fiber driven wheat to this. Once they made that dwarf wheat, it was like, oh my God, we're getting like 10 times the calorie per hectare. Acre. This is a huge success. They never thought, oh my God, this is so cheap. It has no fiber in it. It's going to go into your blood. And it's going to spike your blood as if we just like made, you did an IV of like corn syrup. So it turns out a lot of like the pastries that we've all gotten addicted to, hostess, cupcakes, all that light, fluffy, sugary stuff, that's all part of this hyper-processed sugar and flour. 
you couldn't make these things. So when you go get like some hippy dippy bread in Santa Monica from one of those, you know, co-ops or something, you're like, this tastes like, you know, sawdust or something. Well, that's like regular wheat, right? So we basically have trained ourselves to have this incredibly fine power wheat and it spikes your blood sugar. And that's, I think bread and soda and sugar are just such huge parts of this. I think yeah. if people could figure that piece out, I think you would at least maintain your weight. And then if you start doing a little calorie restriction, a little more vegetables, you know, then maybe I mean, it starts coming off. There know? are super easy, basic principles. Like you go to the grocery store, stay on the outside. Don't go inside oh, yeah. the aisles. You know what I mean? Just, like vegetables, you get meat and vegetables and everything you vegetables. need on the outside. Yeah. I'm like I, you, you hate vegetables too. I hate them. I hate them, but I eat them because yeah, like they know. fill me up. They give oh, me vitamins. Yeah. yeah. But they're you know, the worst. Vegetables are the worst. I like I, Brussels sprouts if they're charred. I can eat a carrot with, with some, some butter. sweet glaze and some yeah, bacon. a little glaze, maybe some salt on it. Like I, I know how you are. I, I'm yeah. like you. I'm like a gourmand. I like yeah. a certain type of vegetable, which is the wrong ones. Yeah, not a, the green leafy. Not for me. No, not broccoli. For me. A, no thanks. A, a, I like a cream spinach at a steakhouse. Sure. Oh, that's nutmeg. great. Yeah. Sure. Hey, put a little butter in it and some heavy yeah. cream. We're all, we're all we're all in. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, we're simpatico on this one, Ethan. Yeah. I, I, I think that's part of the problem. And, you know, the genius of my friend David Sachs' system is he's like, vegetables first, then this, then that. And that in raising my daughters, uh, you have, how many kids you got? How four. Old four you daughters. Four. 25 I have three. to 14. Yeah. Okay. So we're both uh, like Kobe girl dads. Yeah. Uh, I will be so, a grandfather in April. Oh my Lord. Look at that. Yeah. Grandpa Ethan. I yeah. love it. And it's a girl. Mazel so, tov. Oh, that's great. Girls are the greatest. They're the best. Um, but here's the thing. I like to take my girls for ice cream. You may have been there before. You want to give them dessert. You know, come on, dad, let's get some froyo. You know, you, they got you wrapped around their finger. Um, and then, of course, like maybe they want to have pizza, whatever. None of them are obese at this point. But, you know, then the, the broccoli still on the plate. They ate two slices of pizza and now they're onto ice cream and they never ate the broccoli. I was like, okay, I am going to stop the food wars. Because then my wife is trying to get them to eat healthy. I'm in the middle of it. I said, here's how we're doing it from now on. I bring out the little plate. Boom. Three pieces of broccoli. Then I have the medium-sized plate. Here's the pasta or pizza, whatever, carbs, and your protein. I say, when you finish the vegetables, you can move on to this plate. And then when I really want to work them, I'll take their dessert if it's not ice cream. And I'll just cut a small piece of cake. And then I say, and here's, after when they're on the second plate, I'll put the desserts out. If you finish your protein... And I give them the exact amount. That's like yeah. a big, and they will, they can have more, but I portion controls. I'm like, I'm going to train them on portion control because my parents, like, they didn't know what they were doing in the seventies. They were just like happy that we had calories on the table, but yeah. some nights we didn't. And so, you know, there would be just this big thing of egg noodles. There'd be a steak. That would be mashed potatoes. Was, there was no concept of like a portion control. You just, my two brothers and I just attacked it like raptors and, and tried to eat every calorie on the table. And I think that was like part of the problem that I got caught up with. So I'm trying to teach them that habit. Yeah. Like for any parents out there, finish your broccoli, finish your vegetables, then you can move on. And then I do that for myself. And that's the other, other wonderful thing about kids is like, if you start at an early enough age, you you do control everything they eat. Absolutely. Like they're not that's, eating Fruit Loops from, you know, if they can't get up and get it themselves and you're not buying it, where the This is a conversation I have with my wife who sometimes will stop at McDonald's. I never ate fast food as a kid. We didn't really have it in Brooklyn at that time uh, where I lived in Bear Ridge. 
Um, they eventually got a McDonald's in there, but it was like one of those towns where they fought having a McDonald's because they didn't aesthetically match the neighborhood. I think they finally gave in. Um, but sometimes she'll like want to stop at a McDonald's. I'm like, I can't do it. I just, I don't want to build this habit with them. And then sometimes they'll twist her arm and they're at like some not whole food store and the Fruit Loops come into the house. And I'm like, yeah. I, I wonder about those parents. I don't want to pass judgment, but when I see the people on these like TV shows, and the enablers are bringing them this crazy food. I'm like, what's going on there? Like, these you know, are your I had kids, a and you're bringing them thousands of calories. I had a buddy who would drink two liters of soda a day, and I was like, this is an insane thing, I think, to do to yourself. And he was working out at the gym and drinking soda. And I what? finally said to him, like, what the hell are you doing? And he said, it's cheaper than water. This is what Fuck. I drink. And so I, I, I have to remember. That like, and this is another common thing that I have, like, oh, you're some fancy actor. You have all the resources in the world. Of course, you were able to lose weight. And I'm like, no, dude, first of all, I have zero resources. And at the end of the day, it is just a reduction. Mm -hmm. So whatever your output now is financially, you could be saving money by going on some kind of a diet if you don't want to start going organic and all of that. Yeah. And you don't have to go break the bank here. I mean, it really is just a matter of like just eat any vegetable. And then you can eat some fruit. Uh, I found I was able to swap out some fruit uh, for my snacking. And, you know, you just, any fruit but bananas, because bananas are bananas. They're twice as much sugar from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, and so just if you, don't do the, if you want fruit, no juice, no bananas is my rule. Golden delicious apple. Those are awesome. I like a pear, nice Bosque pear, beautiful. Uh, oranges, tangerines, anything like that. I just try to eat one of those a day or something. And I, you know, it's like you get a little nutrients, it's sweet. It's kind of what your body was made for, right? Like, and then we try to buy, like, speaking of organic, we get the organic strawberries because they're like small and regular. Right. And then, like, I don't know what mutant strawberries they're making at Costco, but they're the size of like, and a they don't taste ball. as good. And it they're terrible. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You know, I'm, I'm curious about these parents. I think they are under some perception that this is like a totally difficult thing to do. I think as a parent, you kind of have an obligation to not give in to your kids and to build those habits. So I don't want to be judgmental. I know it's hard to be a parent. I'm just making three kids and I have more resources. So it sounds like I'm talking to like a rich guy, but you just gotta, gotta, gotta get them on good habits. Yeah. I also don't think I, you know, the, the resources thing for kids and for organic and all that, I, I understand, but for a person who's going like, I really want to lose weight, but I don't have the dough. I think that you can come up with any excuse then. Exactly. That means you don't really want it in my mind. If you're like, this is a money issue because you just, you're not ready. Yeah. You're not ready. I think it's about being ready. Like you were talking about like substance abuse and stuff like that. I've seen this like many times with my friends. Sometimes they're ready. Sometimes they're not, you know, yeah. when they're not ready, there's no way to stop that train. You know, yeah. like it's like you could try, but that the second you leave the room, that train's going to go right back to, you know, work to get whatever it is, you know, that they're desiring. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, it's the nature of it. You have to really want it yourself, I think. And I think I these think so. conversations, like, I think podcasting is a very good medium for it because you get to have a little empathy and open up these conversations, right? And I think what you're doing is just a huge mitzvah for like so many people uh, who 
Like, who do you go to to talk about this stuff and have the real conversation? Like, it's you're having the real conversation on the pod, like, especially the one about like skin. Yeah. And having to, you and Will Sasso, I didn't know Will Sasso was that like huge. Um, I remember it when he broke on Vine and I was like, this guy's hilarious. Like, he's I love awesome. this guy. He's yeah. hilarious. And then he's like, yeah, I was tipping four or 500. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I hide it great. <laughs> I was like, oh, dude. Um, but people skin, want you to stick skin. around. Skin, J.K.L., is one of the things that I think is so taboo to talk about. And yet, clearly, you don't have to deal with it. But anybody out there who's got 100 pounds to lose, this is something that if they lose the weight, they're going to wake up one day and go, when is the skin going to go away? And And it's just not. not. It's not you gotta, you gotta get surgery and the surgery's hard. I heard you talk about it. My God, it sounds like getting beat up by like 10 guys with baseball bats. It's brutal, dude. Yeah. It's brutal. Crazy. Yeah. But you um, look great. I mean, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, Jay Cal, you're such a sweetheart. Thank you so much uh, for doing I this. I like, I like our I like our bromance going on here. You're a fan of my pod. I'm a fan of yours. This is could go places. I'm I like, agree. I'm in like uh, I'm in the market for a couple of celebrity friends. I decided I loved you in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, <laughs> I love in, your dude. dance moves. I love yes. like you're in the background. I love that like gif of you dancing. Yes. And I was like, I was talking to him. I was like, I got like three celeb friends. I'm now curating. I got Hanan Hassan Minaj, okay. who's a big fan of All In. So I went yeah. to see his show. Um, and then uh, Adrian Grenier. Uh, who's now investing. So those are my three celebrity friends now. So I'm curating that. I think you like, got a good squad. That's a solid it's a pretty good squad, squad right? Yeah. For like a dork from Silicon Valley. It's like a cool squad. Like everything's crossing over now. Adrian wants to invest. You know, Hassan Minaj is like getting really political and into tech stuff. You're into podcasting. We're all kind of overlapping. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of cool, right? It, I think everybody's really kind of cool. It is. I think podcasting is the vector. I think like, Everybody's Dude. like got this. I mean, you must be getting like you're probably going to make more money, be more famous for the podcast, I think, than you're going to be for the acting. I for me, may I? I don't know from from your lips to God's ears. Okay, yeah. but this keeps me honest. It keeps me concentrating mm-hmm. on it. it. Keeps me present. This is yes. constant for me. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to forget because I have a conversation with you this week, so I can't yes. blow it. You know what I mean? Like there's yep. still that a little bit. And then, oh, I like that. So it holds you accountable in a way. Hundred percent. This is Love my that. OA group. You are yes. part of my OA group a little bit. Um, you know. Sorry, I welcomed you in without telling. No, I like it. Overeaters Anonymous. Yeah. Hey, Ethan. Thank you, <laughs> hey, Jake. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I'm an overeater. I'm a yeah. dumb own. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't watch TV or oh, sucks. Uh, or yeah. or anything else. I listen to yeah. podcasts. That's how well, I get. You know, it's so authentic, like podcasts, you can really get to know a person like you, you experience actual celebrity, but then there's podcast celebrity, which is completely different. Um, I don't know how long your podcast has been around, but did you get caught up in the Spotify, like being on somebody's top podcast and they shared it? Yes. Okay. So now you look at those. I have, cause I have two podcasts this week in startups and all in, and you know, some people sent me their list of the top five and it's like, number one is all in. Number two is this week in startups or, you know, they got five podcasts and Joe Rogue and Tim Ferriss and I'm two of the five. Yeah. And then I look at the number of minutes and it's like, they've listened for 6,000 minutes of this and 4,000 minutes of that. I'm like, I'm in your ears for 10,000 minutes. And what people are doing is they're listening to when they're working out, they go for a walk, they're in a drive. It kind of just integrates into your life. And then the people who are iconoclastic, right? Who have opinions, uh, who have something to say, who love great conversations are drawn to this medium. Yeah. And so that's you, that's me. 
my friend Sam Harris, uh, who I got into podcasting. I don't know if you listen to Sam's podcast, but he's a neuroscientist and author. Yeah. Uh, Brett Easton Ellis. I don't know if you listen to his. He's I on, love his. Yeah. I love his. I pay for his on Patreon because I'm like, look at this crazy iconoclastic guy. He's a novelist from the 80s. Yeah. Who wrote like hyper violent, crazy Gen X, awesome stories. He's gay and he's politically ambiguous. Not, ambiguous. You cannot he, pin him down. You can't pin him down. He's like logical. And he's like, I, I'm not triggered by Trump. And I think that Moonlight was not as good of a film as these three other ones. And that, the, <laughs> you know, the Oscars are just giving these things like Sundance give award, gives yeah. awards because it's got the most sadness and the most suffering. Let me tell yeah. you something. I love his podcast so much, Jake Al, that I yeah. listened to another podcast called Once Upon a Time at Bennington just to hear his interviews on it. Once Upon a Time Bennington, I don't know, this is when he was at Bennington? It's a when podcast he was, about him and Donna Tartt and- Oh, um, all those people were at Bennington, all those authors, yes. Yes, yes. And uh, he, he, he did a bunch of interviews for the gal writing it. She st it started off as a story and then uh, it grew into a podcast. And I listened to it and it's fascinating, literally just for him. Yeah, I like Red Scare too. I don't yeah, know if you Red listen Scare, to Red Scare. Scare. I like uh, Dasha uh, and like what they're because they're just like again iconoclastic. They're just like they're figuring it out too. Like they're young. Like yeah. I could see myself in my twenties doing that podcast. If I, I have them. one podcast recommendation for you, Come Town. Of course, yes. I, okay, I haven't good. listened to it. I'm aware of it. Okay, good. But they're I, hilarious, I, yeah. dude. They're I heard hilarious. they're hilarious and they just don't care. Yeah, like well, it's kind of like if people who don't care. Um, but want to have like an honest, genuine, that's yes. what I think is so special about this medium. But I, I do think the accountability thing is a very key one. I, we, um, when I was starting the blog, I did a blog company at one point and I asked the guy who had started Gizmodo, who I had stolen from Gawker to come work and do Engadget with me. So we co-founded Engadget as one of our blogs at this company. And I said, tell me the secret because Gizmodo is the num was the number one blog in the world. And then you did Engadget with me and it became number one immediately. He said, uh, Jake, how blogging is about showing up. What he meant by it was like, just show up every day and do 10 blog posts. And that's the same thing with podcasting. You just show up every week, you do a yeah. podcast, you build your network, you build your friendship base, uh, and then you build this like community. And that's the other thing you're going to experience. Like when you do a meetup, it's going to be crazy. You're going to have a hundred people, you know, in LA show up for your meetup and they're going to cry and they're going to have this cathartic moment where they're like, Hey, we're all experiencing that. And, you know, obviously we've got COVID right now, but the community that gets built around these podcasts is truly extraordinary too. Yeah. Because then they start to share some common DNA with you. They've been on this experience, like fans of different TV shows like Star Trek or whatever. I wanted have, to do know, a meetup. Lens. I was going to do a meetup where we just went for a walk. I was going to do the first oh, yeah. steps club where we all like, let's meet. Yeah, go do Runyon. At, at Balboa Park. Runyon. Yeah. I, oh, it's too crowded? Too many slabs? Well, it's, it's too steep maybe. Oh, for right. Too steep who, if you're suffering. Like, yeah. Keep first, it flat. First step flat walk come walk. i'll be i'm gonna be to... out there in january i'll be out there in january for uh the upfront summit which is like a tech summit uh yeah. in downtown la so maybe you and i can get together and we'll do the walk together we'll All get right. some fans out there and do a I walk love that. Yeah. <laughs> walk a couple of blocks i mean depending on what oh, covid yeah of, we gotta yeah. wait i i'm feeling optimistic uh that this is like going to motivate the people who didn't get the vaccine in some cases to get it sure and then i think that this is you know talking to my friend friedberg and it's going to be like this one is super viral, but he thinks like it'll be trending towards less deadly. And then everybody gets the vaccine. And then these pills they're going to have that you take in the right. first three days, the people were unvaccinated. So 
that's going to really help. And I think when that happens, isn't it over game over the whole thing? I think so. You know, like knock on wood, we don't have another variant, but my understanding in talking to this with like people who are in science, you know, like Friedberg on the all in podcast is viruses tend, uh, the theory is they become less deadly because they want to spread. So if you're the virus, if you kill the host, well, you just killed your, your golden goose. Like now you got nobody to carry you to the next person. Yeah. So they don't actually want to kill you. They want to keep you alive like alien or something, yeah. at least until you <laughs> right. birth the baby. Right. So they want to, they want to keep you in the game. They want to be more viral, less deadly. Well, that's what we just saw. This thing is 40 times more viral, I think is what they're saying. And so maybe it becomes less deadly over time. And then when those oral treatments come, the people who are scared of getting the shot or don't like getting shots, if there's a pill and you can take it, like, does anybody not take antibiotics because, or, you know, Advil or whatever, because they're Christian concerned scientists. about a microchip. It's not many. Right. So I, I do think, think that those oral, those, yeah. th- those oral treatments are going to be the game changer of game changers on top of this. So. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I'm very hopeful. I feel like we're, I feel like we're, yeah, we're doing well. I think we're doing I mean, really well. The economy has never been stronger too. That's the other thing is this is making people lose their minds. Like what is happening? And that's part of the reason we did the All In podcast because we were trying to figure out what's happening. We were talking about it at a poker game every week. And then it was like, well, this would make a good podcast. And so Chamath and I started doing Breath of Davids and boom, it just turned into a phenomenal. It's a great, I love your podcast. We were number 40 and 45 the last two weeks yeah. in of episodes in the world on iTunes. I know, it's you crazy. guys are and crushing now, it. Well, and now people are starting to contact us. Hey, you think this could be a show on, you know, Beep Network or Beep Network that does this show? That's kind of a similar roundtable kind of thing. I would watch that. Well, I mean, yeah. And we, the YouTube channel now got to like 125,000 subs and it does 150,000 views per episode. You start thinking about the podcast numbers and you look at cable TV and it's like, these things are not very different. Like 500,000 people listening to a podcast. And what does a cable TV show get? I think like a couple of hundred thousand, right? The best ones like Walking Dead might get a million. Right. Maybe like secession gets two or three million or something. I don't know. Right. So I'm I'm very bullish on like the impact this is happening on the dialogue and then yeah. the economy. Eleven million open jobs, four point two percent unemployment. There's only six million people out of work, which seems like a huge number, but there's eleven million jobs. There's you know, and the salaries are going way up. Bernie Sanders wanted a fifteen dollar minimum wage and people to get free school and. Amazon's now paying like 22, right. 20, 22. Tesla's paying over 20 an hour, like maybe 22, 25. They're giving stock options, they're giving benefits. And Amazon is paying for people's associate degrees, which is exactly what Bernie Sanders wanted. Right. So the free market, everything the sort of social Democrats wanted, they're getting. the free market gave them. It's <laughs> right. like- they're- Okay, you can shut up now. Like, but now, and now they yell at, and now they yell at Elon about his taxes. But it's he's, brutal. He I mean, I was like, you know, Elon and I are right. good friends, and I was just like, I, I, I really don't like tweet too much publicly about it because it kind of gets picked up by the aggregators or whatever sometimes, and they you know, misconstrue what I said. But I just, I, I had to dunk on her for like, he just paid, according to what I read, I don't have inside information, eight billion dollars in taxes. It's literally the largest amount an American has ever paid in taxes. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren has a twelve million dollar equity portfolio. She paid zero dollars this year. Yeah. So because she didn't sell any equities, and that's how it works. If you don't sell your house, you don't pay tax on it. That makes sense. Sure. If you own share, if you own a pizzeria and you don't sell it, you don't sell shares. If you own IBM, and you don't sell it, you you don't pay tax. And kind of how the world works, works pretty well. Yeah. And then they were dunking on him for stopping global. I mean, Bernie's other big thing is global warming. It's like, who's doing more for global warming than he? That's his whole point, right? Yeah. So they're literally dunking on him for not paying taxes. He set the record. <laughs> and 
Then they're concerned about global warming and he's the number one, he's making more impact than anybody in global warming. So yeah. Like, really? Yeah, they, they just need something to talk about. All the yeah. politicians, they got to have something fantastic yeah. to talk about. There's a whole class of people who are just professional complainers and grifters. Like it's on social media, it's politicians. It's like not all the press and media, but there's a subsection of them that are like com professional complainers. Yeah. It's just very weird. Very weird. Uh, and by the way, Wolf of Wall Street got screwed. If that film had come out 10 years early, it would have swept the Oscars. I agree. That was just some politically people, correct some nonsense. Some people got acknowledged. Some people got acknowledged. I mean, come on. That should have been best screenplay, best actor, best supporting actor. I mean, best director. And that film was casino and Goodfellas level. Yeah. And people, I've seen it twice now. And I look at those films and I'm, I'm always going to go Goodfellas, you know, and then Casino, which I think arguably is, you know, some people believe is a better film sure. than Goodfellas. But Goodfellas was so OG that I think you got to give it to Goodfellas. And then you have The Departed. And then you have Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm like, those three films, Casino, Wolf of Wall Street, and Departed, I, you know, depending on which one I've seen last, that's my favorite. How do you rank the Scorseses? It's hard. I, 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 think, I, I think I have to put Goodfellas at the top, though. Of course. Yeah. It's just too perfect. Yeah. Too perfect. And then, and then, I, then I'm biased to Wolf of Wall Street. I think it's such a great story. And the performances yeah. in it are so fucking great. Uh, who's it, Jonah Hill? He's amazing in it. I mean, he, I, I, he stole the show in that. Yeah. He was incredible. I mean, everybody was great in that. Yeah. John Berthenau and, and Margot Robbie. Everybody was great. Margot Robbie. I was everybody. great. I was you fantastic. Were I, I mean, broke a bat on the ground. It was I mean, awesome. Just if you look at the number of memes that came out of Wolf <laughs> Street, the number of incredible moments captured, the quaalude scene with the car, yeah. the dancing scene, I'm not going anywhere scene, just scene after scene of perfection. What's it like yeah. to work for Scorsese? What's that like on a set with Scorsese? That was the Mr. first Scorsese. time I've been nervous Ooh. in a long time. I think the last time I was nervous was working with um, Anthony Minghella in 2001. And then, you know, you don't, you just don't feel nerves after 20 years. And then you yeah. work with Scorsese and you're like, holy shit, that's Martin. That's does he, mean does he, does he, himself. Does he direct you? Does he give you a note and say, oh, hey, yeah. do this? And why don't you oh, try yeah. this? Uh, oh a God, lot of it honestly so took place Ooh. before we shot it. Oh, right. So Table reads or something? Really in-depth discussions about what stock guys, what uh, their behaviors were and, and yeah. lots of stuff to read and big conferences where we're discussing it. And then when we actually did it, it wasn't, it was very much like just moving pieces around. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm just so in awe of his career. It's like for me, him, for me, it's him. I also love Ridley Scott. Amazing. Just, have you been Although, in any Ridley Scott stuff? I, didn't, I have never worked with him. I worked with his brother, Tony Scott, who's also uh, amazing. Piece, yeah. yeah. Um, I just love Blade uh, Runner, Gladiator, Black Did you watch um, the, the most recent the Knight? Ridley Scott movie? No. The Green uh, Knight or something? I didn't no. see that yet. And then there was the other one that just the, came out. The Gucci he was complaining one. that nobody watched. Oh, Gucci. I didn't see it yet. Any good? Not so good. Uh, he's old. You know, he's like 80. Um, yeah. And so I think, like, he's trying to get these last couple of films. I think Prometheus. Um, which people I, didn't understand I is a masterpiece. I loved it. By the way, all of my physical goals are that fucking alien. Yeah. I just want, you know, when I yeah, think the engineer. Like, what am I working towards? It's that guy. He's perfect. Yeah. He's perfect. The engineer is perfect. But yeah. I, yeah. That's Prometheus is just such an underrated film. I feel like people didn't understand. Like I, I was coming for an alien film. It's like, 
it's the prequel. This is explaining to you that these engineers are gods and they I made- I love that, yeah. Like, spoiler alert, they made us. <laughs> right. They made the xenomorph. They're engineers and somebody made them. Yeah. And he never got to finish that. That Alien Resurrection sequel was just like whacked out and didn't get there. Uh, and no. Just, it, it, I just want to know convoluted. who made the engineers. Yeah. It got yeah. convoluted. Yeah. yeah, I think they told him he's just got to put all aliens in and make it an alien movie if he wants to get funded or something. But right, it needed a bit of action to to sell or something. I, I didn't need the action. I loved Prometheus. I wanted to go to the alien home planet and geek out for two or three hours on their culture and society, and then where did they come from? Yeah, like are they organic beings that came from the Earth and then they just re-engineered everything, or did somebody engineer them and right. then there's actually a god? Right. Because who's the god in this? Like, you know, right? And, Where does it start? Where's the chicken or the egg? Well, and that's, I mean, it, it kind of relates to Blade Runner, where like Terrell is making life and Terrell and then the guy from Whaling Corporation. It's like these two corporations are like in the same universe, some people suspect, right? Like, so in Blade Runner 2049, supposedly you can see like an, an engineer in one of the tanks when yes. Jared Leto plays like the new Tyrell Corporation. There's like a little Xeno, there's an engineer supposedly in the side i'm gonna rewatch that movie to yeah look you can just that. type it in like blade runner slash blade runner 2049 slash engineer. aliens universe they kind of, yeah all right i think we did That's it amazing did we Jake, do it yeah. was this a we good episode it. i was awesome it was fucking awesome dude all right everybody you know what to do rate and subscribe tell your friends about the show if you got a friend who's struggling with weight take a moment <laughs> and tell them i found this episode fascinating you might enjoy this podcast and you just email them, no judgments uh, and say, listen, this guy did it. This other guy did it. Just wanted to tell you about that. If you got somebody suffering from being overweight or whatever, tell them you love the pod. It was interesting to listen to. Yeah. Rate just and give it a listen. You don't like to ask people to rate and subscribe. So I'm going to tell them rate and subscribe. I know. I don't like to ask people to do anything. And who's your sponsor? Athletic Greens or something? Athletic Greens. Delicious. Amazing. And trifecta. And trifecta. So get your yeah. Athletic Greens and trifecta, everybody. Tweet about it. There you go. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Sincerely.